tweet I saw an hour ago. It's a play on one of those memes that compare social media platforms. This one goes, 2017, Facebook, Essential Oils, Snapchat, I'm a bunny, Instagram, I ate a hamburger, Twitter, all caps, this country is burning to the ground. Okay, it reminds us that platforms are different, but also that platforms can affect our mood. Uh, And in the era of Trump, the experience of Twitter for many people is frantic, panic-inducing, rancorous. Imagine this. Imagine that the mood of the platform, its feel-goodness in the case of Instagram, its agitation in the case of Twitter, is not just created by the users, but is deliberately engineered by the platform. And imagine they were doing that just to see what would happen to users. Say you use Facebook every day. You open up the app on your phone and you scan up and down the newsfeed. You like friends' posts, you share news stories, you occasionally comment on some of them. Then one day, all the posts in your newsfeed are a little bit more negative. Maybe you don't notice, maybe you do. But you might be inclined to think people seem a bit unhappy today. What if, though, it wasn't because your friends were actually unhappy that day, but it was because Facebook was running an experiment where they randomly made some users' news feeds negative to see what would happen? This is not a hypothetical story. Facebook actually did this in 2014 to 689,000 users. Maybe even you were one of them. They changed the mood of these users' news feeds. Some got happier feeds for a week, and some got sadder feeds. Facebook wanted to see, if they tweaked your feed sad, would you get sad? If they tweaked it happy, would you be happy? To this day, Facebook has still not told the users who were selected for this experiment that this happened to them. And so, if you're a Facebook user, you might have been one of them. And you might care about this, or you might not. The point is this. Media platforms are engineering new kinds of interventions in public culture. These engineering projects include machine learning, artificial intelligence, and virtual reality. The development and training of an algorithmic media infrastructure depends on continuous experimentation with users. Public communication on social media routinely doubles as participation in these experiments. They are an everyday part of using platforms like Google and Facebook. These tests, often called A-B tests, are invisible to users. An A-B test involves creating alternative versions of a web page or a set of search results or a feed of content. Group A is diverted to the test version, group B kept on the current version, and their behaviours are compared. A-B testing enables the continuous evolution of platform interfaces and algorithms. Wired reported back in 2011 that Google ran more than 7,000 A-B tests on its search algorithm that year. The results of these tests informed the ongoing development of the algorithm's decision-making sequences. There are two widely publicised experiments, popularly known as the mood and voting experiments that were run by Facebook. And these illustrate how A-B tests are woven into public culture, contribute to the design of platforms, and raise substantial questions about the impact the data processing power of media platforms has on public life. Each experiment was reported in peer-reviewed scientific journals and generated extensive public debate. Let me recap both of them. Facebook engineers and researchers published the voting experiment in Nature in 2012. 
The experiment was conducted during the 2010 US congressional election and involved 61 million Facebook users. The researchers explained that on the day of the US congressional elections, all US Facebook users who accessed the platform were randomly assigned to a social message, informational message, or control group. The 60 million users assigned to the social message were shown a button that read, I voted, together with a link to poll information, counter of how many Facebook users had reported voting, and photos of friends who had voted. The information group was shown the same information, except for photos of friends. The control group were not shown any message related to voting. 6.3 million Facebook users were then matched to public voting records so that their activity on Facebook could be compared to their actual voting activity. The researchers found that users who received the social message were 0.39% more likely to vote. And on this basis, they estimated that the I voted button increased turnout directly by about 60,000 voters and indirectly through social contagion by another 280,000 voters for a total of 340,000 additional votes. The experiment and Facebook's reporting on it reveals how the platform understands itself as an infrastructure for engineering public social action, in this case, voting in an election. The legal scholar and critic, Jonathan Zittrain, described the experiment as civic engineering. And the ambivalence in this term is important, I think. A more positive understanding of civic engineering might present it as engineering for the public good. A more negative interpretation might see it as manipulative engineering of civic processes. Facebook certainly presented the experiment as a contribution to the democratic processes of a civic society. They illustrated that their platform could mobilise participation in elections, and they thought, of course, that this was a good thing. The more profound lesson, however, is that the platform illustrates the power it has to shape electoral activity of citizens. Data-driven voter mobilisation methods have been used by the Obama, Clinton and Trump campaigns in recent presidential elections. And these data-driven models draw on a combination of market research, social media and public records data. While the creation of data-driven mobilisation within campaigns might be part of the strategic contest of politics, the Facebook experiment generates even more profound questions. Jonathan Zittrain, like many critics, raised questions about Facebook's capacity as an ostensibly politically neutral media institution to covertly influence elections. The experiment could be run again, except without choosing participants at as random, for example. Rather, Facebook could choose to mobilise some participants based on their political affiliations or preferences. To draw a comparison with the journalism of the 20th century, this is really quite new. In the past, no media proprietor could automatically prevent a specified part of the public from reading information that they had published about an election. But in the publication of the voting experiment, Facebook is saying they can do precisely this. They can create information, in this case information about political campaigns, and then choose who in the public can see it. And in their micro-targeted advertising products, they are selling this capacity to political campaigns, enabling political campaigns to choose who sees which messages. Facebook's mood experiment was reported in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Science in 2014. 
The mood experiment involved the manipulation of user news feeds, similar to the voting experiment. The purpose of this study was to test whether emotional states could be transferred via the newsfeed. The experiment involved 689,000 Facebook users, and to this day none of them know they were involved in the experiment. The researchers explained that the experiment manipulated the extent to which people were exposed to emotional expressions in their newsfeed. For one week, one group of users were shown a newsfeed with reduced positive emotional content from friends, while another group was shown reduced negative emotional content. The researchers reported that when positive expressions were reduced, people produced fewer positive posts and more negative posts. When negative expressions were reduced, the opposite pattern occurred. In short, Facebook reported that they could, to an admittedly small degree, manipulate the emotions of users by tweaking the newsfeed algorithms. Much of the public debate about the mood experiment focused on the manipulation of the user experience. The question of informed consent to participate in A-B experiments and the potential harm of manipulating the moods of vulnerable users. And of course, all of these concerns matter. But, as was rightly noted by critics like Kate Crawford, focus on this one experiment obscures the fact that the manipulation of the user newsfeed is a daily occurrence. It is just that this experiment was publicly reported. The voting and mood experiments illustrate how public communication doubles as the creation of vast troves of data and participation in experiments with that data. When we express our views on Facebook, we not only persuade other humans, we are contributing to the compilation of databases and the training of algorithms that can be used to shape our future participation in public culture. The response of critics like Jonathan Zitrain, Kate Crawford and Joseph Turo to the data-driven experiments of platforms like Facebook highlight some of the new public interest concerns they generate. Crawford argues that all users should be able to opt in and opt out of AB experiments and to see the results of any experiments that they participated in. Zitrain proposes that platforms should be made information fiduciaries in the way that other professions like doctors and lawyers are. Like Crawford, he envisions that this would require users to be notified of how data is used and for what purpose, and would proscribe certain users of data. Turo proposes that all users have access to a dashboard where they can see how data is used to shape their experience and have the capacity to choose to remove or correct any data in their personal profile. All of these kinds of suggestions seem technically feasible, but would of course meet stiff resistance from the platforms. They are though helpful suggestions because they help to articulate an emerging range of public interest communication concerns specifically related to our participation in the creation of data and the use of that data to shape our thoughts, feelings and actions on media platforms. These proposals need to be considered as collective actions, not just about creating tools that give individual users more choice. These suggestions each go to the heart of the ways in which media shape our larger public culture. The algorithmic infrastructure of media platforms generate pressing questions about who speaks and who is heard. They also generate pressing questions about who gets to experiment with data. Public communication is now a valuable resource used to experiment with public life. Mark Andreevich describes this as the big data divide. The power relations of public culture 
now also include who has access to the infrastructure to process public culture as data and intervene in it on the basis of those experiments. Thank you.